chapter number two, and let me adjust this microphone. There we go. Mark chapter number two. Uh, let's just start reading in verse 23. We're going to kind of clean up the end here and then just kind of, again, look at a few things before starting chapter three next time. Uh, 2.23, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and as his disciples began, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn, and the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, what do they on the Sabbath day? Why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And, and again, the issue here is about the Sabbath. And I know that we uh, talked about uh, this section uh, here a little bit. Now, what they were doing by plucking the corn uh, wasn't, uh, not, wasn't against the rules. It was lawful. It was okay. We looked last time in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about the gleanings and everything, for, and the edges were be, to be left for the poor and the hungry. The problem when, he say, when they say that which is not lawful, that's the problem their traditions have been violated. Now, what Mark is going to do here is he's going to begin to point out, lay out the growing opposition to the Lord. And we're going to see that if you look there in chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. Uh, verse 2, and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, what they might accuse him. That's going to be the issue now, is the Pharisees, the leaders, are going to start watching him, and the Sabbath day is going to be the issue. Verse 6, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. And that's the whole issue here is they're going to use the Sabbath day as kind of the issue to nailing, to killing, to crucifying. They're not going to be, they can, there's nothing that the Lord does that violates any law. Pilate says three times, he's a just man. He's an innocent man. He's not guilty. However, they're going to nail him on this issue. And on the issue here about the Sabbath, that's the, the kind of the point here. And, and so I just want to kind of look here a little bit at the Sabbath and, and really kind of what they, these guys are doing, the traditions. If you look there at 2.25, and he said unto them, Have ye never read? And, and again, that's the stick. They've never, consider, they've never read 1 Samuel 21 here about David. Had, uh, David. What David did when he had need. And was a hungered, he and they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them that were with him. And again, that's the issue. When David goes in and eats the showbread, that did violate the law. The law given to Moses was the only people to eat that showbread were the priest, but yet the priest gave it to David because he had need. And that begins to be the sticking point. And the Pharisees' problem, if you come over to Luke, 
Uh, actually, Mark 7, just run over there. I know we looked at this last time. If you look here at Mark 7, the problem with the Pharisees is this right here. Mark 7, verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And that's the issue. When they say, what they're doing is not lawful. It's not against the Mosaic law. It's against the tradition of the elders. If you look down at verse 7, well, verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribe ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Again, why aren't you following? And that just angers them when he doesn't. Howbeit, verse 7, howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The end of verse 9, that ye may keep your own tradition. Verse 13, here's the summation of all of it. They make the word of God of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. They've never read the issue. They never look over. Now come over with me to Matthew 23. So when you look and talk about the Sabbath, Matthew 23, there's some things that we have to remember about them and then uh, look. Go, we're going to go back in the Old Testament here and look about this. And you begin to think about the law. The question here with the Lord is what's more important? Feeding people that are hungry, healing people that are sick, or to keep a ceremony. See? Because the Sabbath is just that, a ceremonial issue. The more moral issue is the, is the issue. Look at Matthew 23. Start here in verse 35. Matthew, I'm, uh, actually, I'm sorry, 22:35. <laughs> Get it in the right passage. 22:35. Think about the law here. Matthew 22:35. Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question, tempting him and saying, "Master, which is the great commandment in the law?" Jesus said unto him, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind." Now watch. This is the what? first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the commandments are in two categories. They're in categories. They're in a rank of importance. What's the first? What's number one? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. How do you think about God? How do you relate to God? He's, all, he's the only righteous one. So here's your so that's, that's commandment number one. Now commandment number two is how do you relate to your neighbor and to others? So there's a ranking here. There's an order. Everything else then is below that. 
follow, okay? Now, Matthew 23. So in the law, the first one is the relationship with God. By the way, the Ten Commandments, the first four, are all about your relationship with God. The next, well, the next one, the middle, the fifth one is the Sabbath. That's a ceremonial deal. And then the last five are your relationships to your neighbor, to, the, to others. So you've got nine moral laws, one ceremonial law, and that nine breaks out in four and five. Because what's the law really all about? That's it. Now, look at 23.23. Because, so you've got the moral laws, how to relate and treat others and your relationship with God. And then you've got the ceremonial law, which are, are not moral laws, rather they're illustration of a spiritual truth that's going to happen. Circumcision is, is a physical event, but it's a sign of a spiritual truth. That's going to transpire. That is to transpire. Now, watch Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. The tithe is a ceremonial issue. It's an, the tithe is a, is a ceremonial issue about a spiritual truth that they're to do. But what do they have omitted? The weightier matters of the law, which are what? Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done and not to leave the other undone. Come back with me to Micah. So Jonah, Micah, chapter number 6. Micah, chapter number 6. If we were all in the same Bible, that would be page 949. But we're not, so... We all have different King James Bibles, the way they lo roll them out. Plus, some of you are on, on electronics. So, so they are the, the weightier issues, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's the moral component. The tithe of, on the anise and all that, that's the ceremonial thing. Uh, Micah nine, uh, 6, verse number 6. 6-6. Six, six. Where, uh, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves of a year old? Okay, so is coming before God ceremonial? I'm going to do it the right way, so we got to do this. So the sacrifices are literally a ceremonial picture of a spiritual truth. Now watch verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Am I coming to God the right way? Now watch verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God." God is more interested in the heart attitude, the heart, that proper thinking toward his truth, and loving him above all things, and treating your neighbor right, and doing right with the others, than he is, those are the weightier matters of the law, than any ceremony out there that would ever take place. So when you think about the moral, the righteous moral 
just peace, mercy, love, doing that, that's one component. But then you've got the ceremonial, which is a picture, a type, a look into, a picture of something of a spiritual truth. Now, come to Deuteronomy 22, and let me illustrate this for you. Deuteronomy 22. The tithe, the Sabbath, the sacrifices, uh, the dietary laws, all of that stuff is a ceremonial thing here, okay, of a spiritual truth that needs to be driven home. Notice Deuteronomy 22. Notice verse number 5. Now, Deuteronomy 22 is, the, is, is uh, Schofield's note says, the law of brotherhood. <laughs> Look at verse 5. The women shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So you know what they say? You know what the religious? Women don't wear pants. The problem is, is in the scripture, men were wearing robes and skirts, and they weren't wearing pants. So hey, women don't, you know, and they just abuse this. But look at verse 11. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers' sort, as of woolen and linen together. Now, is there any moral issue of wearing a blended shirt? Not at all. So then why does he want them to have something, have a clothing that is of pure, it's pure, it's purity? Well... Think about this. They un Why would you wear clothing to cover up your what? Nakedness. They learned that from Adam and Eve. They want to, you're going to, now to cover up, they're to cover up with something pure, 100% wool, okay? I uh, bought a flannel shirt the other day because I'm losing weight and some of my stuff didn't fit. And, you know, you go in now and the, the stuff that was tight is like, you know, you know, and, uh, I bought a flannel shirt getting ready for the winter. Now I'm a little worried maybe I should have waited. But the thing is, is it's 100% wool. It's 100% flannel. It's not a mix. So now you got to wash it and hang dry it. Otherwise, it'll just shrink right up to Barbie doll size, you know. But the thing is, is they were, they were not to be mixed. They were to cover up with something pure. Now... Think about the spiritual thing. What is the only thing that would cover them that is pure? The blood of Christ. So they, something uncorruptible. So he's teaching Israel, you need a covering that is pure. You can't provide it, but God is going to provide it. So the clothing issue isn't so that they don't go down and buy 60% cotton and 40% rayon from Vietnam. It isn't that, okay? It's rather, hey, here's a picture of a spiritual truth. Because Israel is, to, is God's people, and they're going to look different, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with whether, you know, this is a blended shirt, is going to hurt you or harm you or not. It has to do about that. Now, you're in Deuteronomy. Look over at chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 21. 
when you think about like the dietary laws, they were to demonstrate to Israel and to other country, other nations, that Israel was God's people. They're different. There's nothing immoral about eating bacon. I had it this morning. There's nothing immoral about that. Maybe a little health issue, but really not. I mean, my grandpa, he ate eggs and bacon for 50, 60 years, and he finally died because his heart just gave out. Had, he didn't have high cholesterol or nothing. <laughs> so it's not even really that. It's just, hey, my people are not going to do that. Now, look at 1421. Here's a great verse on this, by the way. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. Or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. Now, God's not saying, go give it to somebody else so they'll get sick and die. You know, God never said, well, you know what, you need to burn off a little steam. Go ahead and commit adultery, it's okay. He never said that. He's not saying, look, that, that thing that died over there, you're not going to eat it, Israel. Why? For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk, and so on. He says, you guys aren't going to eat it because you're my people. You're going to go give it to them, let them eat it. It ain't going to harm them. It ain't going to hurt them. It, so it's not a moral thing. It's a, it's a picture of a spiritual issue. You remember the Rechabites in Jeremiah? He tells Jeremiah, go down there. Uh, come to Leviticus 20. Go down there. When they get in town, offer them a drink. And they say, we won't drink it because our daddy didn't drink it, and we don't drink that. That's what he's trying to get Israel to understand. You, you're going to be mine. You are mine. You're a holy people. You're not like those na the other nations, but it's not a moral issue. It's a, it's a picture of a spiritual truth. Again, you think about clean animals and unclean animals. Again, it's just pictures designed to drive home a spiritual truth. L look at Leviticus 20, and look at verse 20 22. Leviticus 20, 22. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land, whether I bring you in to dwell therein, spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations which I cast out before you, for they have committed all these things, therefore, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Who did that? God did that. Who put the division in man between circumcision and uncircumcision? God did that. He's the one that divided up mankind. Ye shall therefore put differences between clean beast and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abhorrible by beast or by fowl or by any member of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. 
That's why right there. He's separating them out. So he gives them ceremonial things to do to make it obvious that they are what? Separate. They're God's people. They're different because they belong to him. And again, that's, ex that's what the law does. Nine and one. <laughs> Nine moral, here's our relationship to God and our neighbor, and here's the ceremonial thing as well. Now, come back with... So when we talk about the Sabbath, that's really what we're talking about. Now, go back with me to the issue here about the Sabbath. Because I say all of that to then spend the rest of the time looking at the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath, it is critical to understand what the Sabbath is all about. Uh, come back with me to Genesis 2. There's three passages on the Sabbath that you need to understand. Because even in our day, the, they, they call it, I had it written down here somewhere, the, sabbat, the Sabbath question. I had it. Where did it go? The Sabbathan question. And what you have is, is you've got all the denominations out there kind of rewrite the rules to fit their thing to make Sunday the Christian Sabbath. And they, make, they do all this stuff, and, they, and, and it's a failure to understand your Bible. It's fascinating to me when I hear people talk about the Sabbath. They, never look, they look at Genesis 2. They never look at Psalms 132. And they hardly ever go to Exodus 31. Now, we're going to hit them all, okay? So go to Genesis 2. By the way, Psalms 132 explains Genesis 2, 1 to 3 about the Sabbath. So it's critical to get. When we did our study uh, years ago now on Israel and so forth, there's 40-something of them. We did them on Sunday nights. We ought to go back to that, I guess, and do some more. Um, we, we spent like three, four weeks talking about the Sabbath. So some of this is that. If you were here for that, this will be re repeat, but... We've done this in every of the all four of the Gospels now, <laughs> so we can't leave Mark out because the Sabbath is going to be the is going to be the issue that the Pharisees are going to use to get in. Now, ultimately, the Lord is going to say that He's God, and that puts the nail in the coffin, so to speak. But that's really they're going to use this Sabbath to begin question to begin to dog him. You need to understand the Sabbath in the scriptures, not in religion, not in even the mainstream media, okay? Look at Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. So all the creating is done. There's no more work to be done. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he made. He, the work is done. Hold on to here. Come over to Isaiah 40. You need to have this verse written down next to verse 2. Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Isaiah 40 and verse number 28. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth 
fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. So when Genesis 2, 2 says he rested, it wasn't because he was worn out. He rested because what? Creation work was done. The, it, he, 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 he wasn't tired. He wasn't looking for a holiday or, or, you know, a Saturday off to watch college football. Okay? By the way, he creates that Monday. Okay? So he doesn't do that. Rather, the seventh day, that day of rest, go back to Genesis 2, has nothing to do about you working so hard that you've got to have a day off in the end of the week. Rather, he rested because the work was done. Now he's going to sit down and enjoy it. Enjoy what he has accomplished. Again, not, not about being tired or weary. The other day, we're getting ready for our floor work to be done in the house and stuff. And uh, I was working in the garage, and I have inherited a, a, a wonderful desk for my re, re, and reloading equipment that I've inherited over from other from two different sources, and I, I I got a stool and I sat. I didn't set anything up because I need the space really to store boxes on top of till we get the floor done and the house back in order. And I'm sitting there and I got it all the way I wanted it. I can picture it and I went, wow, this is cool. I can't wait to get started. I got to get the floor work done first and then get everything, you know, unloaded and back into the house. And I was sitting there and, and you know what I did? Now, I worked like an hour to get it there. And I was like, whew, this is great. Not because I was worn out because I kept working on other things, but it was like I can now do what? I can enjoy the work, what we accomplished. That's why. In verse 3, and God, what? blessed he blessed happy he spake well of it he's enjoying the work so the sabbath was originally for god to enjoy his plan and purpose in creation he looks out everything's good now verse three and god blessed the seventh day he's he he spoke well of it he's happy and sanctified it. He set it apart as special for that special purpose for which he created it for. So the seventh, the seventh day was set apart. It's the day in which the whole purpose of creation is now going to be put on display. He sanctified it. The work's done. Six days, it's over. Now the creator sits there. He's going to enjoy it. And, he, and he, then he says, this is why I did what I did. So the purpose of the seventh day being set apart, and again, that's the day when the reason that God created it, everything, is going to be enjoyed. Now come over to Psalms 132, because what helps understand all of this is Psalms 132. A song of degrees, so Hezekiah wrote, writes this. The subject matter is David and the Davidic kingdom, or covenant, sorry, that covenant that God made with King David. 
And you start, verse 1, Lord, remember David. Psalms 132. I, I don't, did I say 132? Okay. I, I thought I said maybe 131, but 132. Is that hike? Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up, to, up into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Second Samuel 7, what did David want to do? Build the Lord a house. Notice the language. Habitation. A place for the Lord to dwell. A temple. Now, God told David, you're the bloody man, you can't do it, but your son is going to do it. All right? But what did David know? David understood why God created Israel. Why he gave them the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all those, all those mechanisms. And it was so that God could be and dwell with them. He could be Emmanuel, that is, God with us. All right? He's come. David understood this. He understood it clearly. Uh, oh, we can slide something into Psalms 132. Come over to Isaiah chapter 40 again. Isaiah chapter 40. We were talking about some of this a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning about creation. And there's so much to this. I was looking at studying this up for tonight, and I'm like, man, I should have said this two Sundays ago. Wow, <laughs> I'm just missing it. But there's so much here, but what this Sabbath represents. Isaiah 40, verse 21 and 22. Have you not known? Yes, they, they knew. Have you not heard? Yes, they heard. Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? Yes, yes, and yes, they knew. Israel understood what creation was all about. They have the book of Job. It's been hammered into their thinking. They've got it. Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circles of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretched out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to what? To dwell in. David understood that. David understood that God's ultimate goal was to come and to dwell with his creation through the nation of Israel. They were the agency that he was going to come and dwell with. Now, God is God. He's not limited by time or space, but he has chosen to manifest his person, his glory, the fascinate, the, the, the different integral details of his wisdom in a specific location on the earth. He chose to do that. Nobody made him do it. He chose to do that. So when you come back, come back, come back to uh, Exodus 15. You have to think about this. He did this. Now, Exodus 15. Flip back there quickly. On a roll today. Exodus 14, Moses brings Israel out of, the, out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. 
and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him, notice, a habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. There, why are we out of Egypt? Why did we just come out of Egypt? So that we could go and do what? Prepare him a habitation. They knew, they know that creation has been usurped by an adversary. There's the horse and his rider. That ultimate picture of the Antichrist. There's the usurper in Egypt. Didn't know anything about Joseph. He's up here. He's actually an Assyrian. He's usurped the throne. The adversary. And you know what? God, think about it. God makes man. What does the adversary do? No problem. I got him. Doop, and they fall. But he sent man out to do what? Reclaim the earth. Subdue it. Win it back over for him. And what did the adversary do? Nope, ain't going to happen. I got another plan. That's why verse 3 says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You know what? He's going to use man ultimately in a, a battle of all battles to do what? Reclaim the universe. He's going to do that. He's going to use man to subdue it and to win it. Drop down to verse 12. Thou stretched out thy right hand, the earth did what? Swallowed them. That's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. What did God become? He became their avenger. He's going to be their king. He's going to be their blesser. Here, he's their avenger. Five tests in the wilderness coming. Match five Jehovah compound names. Match up with him being king and blesser and avenger, and uh, I just had him. Redeemer, thank you. He, he's got him. He's teaching Israel. Verse 13, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. There he is. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. He's going to be their redeemer. He's going to take them into that promised land, that habitation that holy habitation holy set apart it's his verse 14 the people there's the gentiles now watch this shall hear and be afraid sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of palestinia then the dukes of edom shall be amazed the mighty men of moab trembling shall take hold upon them all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thy arm, thou, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased. No, look at the Gentile. The Gentiles living in that land that belongs to Israel, what are they going to do? Gone. Rahab, the harlot, what did she say? Boy, we heard it. We knew it back there. We heard that 30, 40 years ago. And we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Boy, we uh -uh, not messing with him. Verse 17. Thou, hast bring, thou shalt bring them in, talking about Israel, and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. 
There's a plate, Sanctuary, capital S, the name of the land of Palestine over there. It's here on the earth, and it's for him to do what? Verse 18, reign forever and ever. Now, come back to Psalms 132. So, David understood that. David had a glimpse of it. He caught it. He's well aware of what's happening. Hezekiah writes here, starting verse 8. <clears throat> Arise, O Lord, into what? Thy rest. Now, that's a pull from Genesis 2 where he rested. And there's going to be a connection made now. Thou and the ark of thy strength and... Oh, sorry, lost my spot. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon the throne. What did David know? David knew that the Messiah, the king, was coming through his genealogy. He knew it. He understood it. He was there with it. He was good to go. That's the word of the Lord. Verse 12, if thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children also shall sit upon thy throne forever. Now, not all of David's kids did that. That's why Mary's line through Nathan is so critical to grasp and to understand and to kind of place in here. Verse 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. Notice Zion. He chose Zion. He chose Jerusalem. Zion, a very particular place, and it's going to be the place that he chose to dwell in. But you've got to love verse 14. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. He rested on the seventh day because his dwelling place on the earth had been prepared and it was ready to be occupied so the sanctifying the seventh day he set it apart why because it's earth is done the place is ready it's time for me now to come and rest be here so the sabbath is a day set apart for god to come and to dwell on the earth with creation. Now, we know the story. What happened? Man sinned, and that causes a problem. So when man sinned like that, we got us a problem now. Now we have to go, he's got to go to plan B, okay? So you've got some things. We're going to go back to Leviticus 23, but first let's go to Luke 6, Okay. Because in Leviticus 23, he lays out a calendar of redemption for the feast schedule, okay? You, you got the first coming represented in Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. Four done. They've all been fulfilled. Then you've got the second coming in trumpets, the day of trumpets, the day of atonement, and then the feast of tabernacles. Tabernacles is a picture, we'll go back and look at it here in just a minute, Leviticus 23, of God dwelling with Israel. Okay? Now, I told, did I tell you Luke 6? All right, Luke 6. You guys with me? All right. We've got like three hours to do here in 15 minutes. So, 
seriously, this is a lot. Okay, but I'm just trying to give you highlights you can look at. Look at Luke 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. Now, this is the event in Mark 2, where we're at. But notice the detail in Luke 6, 1. The second Sabbath after the first. So in Israel's schedule, there are a lot of different Sabbath days. There's the weekly Sabbath, and then there's the festival, the fall, the festival Sabbath days. But notice this. There's a second Sabbath after the first. So we're going to have a first, and then we're going to have a second Sabbath. Now, go back with me to Leviticus 23. If they're in the harvest, which is what they're, if the guys are out there plucking corn and eating it, it's the harvest time. So we're in the Festival of Tabernacles, timing-wise, on the calendar. That's where we're at. Leviticus 23 and verse 33. 23-33. <clears throat> I think uh, Sunday the Rams could have used a little 23-33. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, I just remembered that. Oh, I know. Be still my heart. Hey, I couldn't believe the Cardinals did so well. But anyway, Leviticus 20, that's a conversation for another time. But it's on the, it's on the DVD and the tapes and the YouTubes forever now. Leviticus 23, 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. So the first day, what are we going to have? We're going to have a Sabbath. We're going to have, a, it's a special Sabbath. It's the 15th day of the seventh month. No matter what day of the week that falls on, it's a Sabbath day. So if it's a Wednesday, the 15th is a Wednesday, guess what? Wednesday's a Sabbath day. It's the same stuff when we talk about the, when the Lord died, when he was crucified, and you got the Sabbath and the Holy Convocation and all that. It doesn't matter the day of the week. It's a, how, that, that date is what triggers it, okay? So what did we have? The, it does, again, the 15th day of the seventh month is the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a special ceremonial day. They're to stop and to remember why God created creation and created the nation of Israel. There are components in that. Now watch verse 36. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. Look at that. 36. 23, Leviticus 23, 36. Okay? On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no servile work therein. Eight days going to go by, right? Luke said the second Sabbath after the first. That's where we're at. We're right here. 
Okay? There's a Sabbath. So if it's the 15th day, then what? 27 would be 22, 23, the 23rd, 24th of the month, okay? Would be another what? Another Sabbath. Verse 39. Verse 39. Also, in the 15th day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Again, that's where we're at in Luke. That's where we're at in Mark 2. He's talk, There's two Sabbaths associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there, that isn't always the case. Passover was a Sabbath observation, no work. The, whole, the next day was a Sabbath day because it's unleavened bread starts, no work. Then that would go down. Now, if the, sat, the sixth day hit, i.e., when was the Lord crucified? Thursday, Friday. Saturday's a Sabbath day. So they had three days of no working. Boom, boom, and boom. Okay? Or two and a half days of no work. Then Sunday, he's gone. That's where we're at here. What that's telling us in the picture, in the typology. Now, think about this. Because I, I have. I, you know, and again, you can take it for what it's worth. What is the Sabbath? Think about Adam and Eve. Here's day six. Adam and Eve is, is created. The next day was a Sabbath day. Tabernacles, he's going to come and dwell with them. So the next Sabbath, what was he going to do? What's Revelation 21 talk about in the new heaven and the new earth? The city of Jerusalem coming down and him dwelling with man. He, so on the, the next Sabbath, this is Genesis creation. The next Sabbath, what was he going to do? Come and dwell with man. Take the week, teach man, get him all ready and go. But what happened on Thursday? That's Thursday. What happened on Thursday? Man fell. The reason I say Thursday is because of Calvary. Okay? Man falls. So what does God say? I'm not coming. We got to do something else. We're going to have to do, I got plan B to kick in. He, look, he put man in that garden, keep it, subdue it, take care of it, go out, do all of this. My intention is to come next week and dwell with you. Now, you can believe that or not, I don't care, but you, you can be, as I like to say, you can be wrong if you want to. Okay? But that's okay. But when you think about the pictures that this is painting, this is all ceremonial. It's painting a picture. Okay? Well, man fell, lost to the adversary. So he wasn't able to come back right then, and yet he does what? Now he's going to institute a nation, the Abrahamic covenant. All right? He has to institute a plan of reconciliation, a plan of redemption. And it's pictured in that Sabbath 
issue. Israel every week was to do what? Keep the Sabbath. It's a ceremonial sign between God and Israel. It's not a moral issue. All right? Again, the morality issue is cut and dry. When these two things clash, you know, hey, are you going to circumcise that thing in John? We looked at last time. You're going to circumcise on the eighth day and it's a Sabbath, or are you going to keep the Sabbath? No, you're going to circumcise because that's the foundational issue. And that's the Israel was to take one day of the week and do nothing but focus on God's purpose in creation, which was to come and dwell with them. And they were to focus in on that and their part in that. He was to dwell with, with man, with creation, through them. And they were to go and to remind themselves every week of his plan in creation to come and to dwell and to be amongst them. Where he could demonstrate his glory. Uh, come back to uh, Exodus 31. Exodus 31. To come back and to demonstrate his glory and his greatness and to do it through them. Okay? Now, Exodus 31. Exodus 31. Fantastic section here, verse 12 talking about the Sabbath. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Ver Verily my Sabbaths, notice it's plural, ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. What is the Sabbath? It's a sign. And it's a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, by the way, just so you know. No one else, it was given to Israel. It wasn't given to the body of Christ. It was only given to Israel. So from Adam to Moses, no one celebrated the Sabbath day. Nobody did. It belongs to who? Israel. The Sabbath be belongs to Israel because Israel is the vehicle. Israel is the nation in the earth that's been established to accomplish the purpose of the Sabbath, which is what? Him to come and dwell with them. Dwell with man. Be there. And because he doesn't have that vehicle, uh, hold on to Exodus. Come over to Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9. Because he doesn't have that vehicle there, then guess what? No one's keeping the Sabbath. Adam to Moses, nobody kept it. So, when the nation is formed, Nehemiah, ne Nehemiah 9. When the nation is formed, now he gives that ceremony to remind them of his ultimate purpose and plan. Okay, follow that? All right, Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah takes them through a little history lesson. Look at verse 12, Nehemiah 9, 12. Moreover, thou leadest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. So, obviously, we're out of Egypt. We're exiting Egypt. Verse 13, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them righteous, I'm sorry, right judgments, and true laws, good statutes, and commandments. So, there's the wandering in the wilderness. That's where we're at in Exodus 31. Okay? 
and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. He fixed the... 9.14 fixes when the Sabbath was given to man. It was given to Moses where? Not before, I'm sorry, given to man. Not before, but after they had left and got through and out and they were established. So, and by the way, it's on Mount Sinai. Why? Because it's the middle commandment of the top ten. There it is. And in, the, in, the, in, the, in those ten commandments, I heard it said that it's, it's like the, uh, you know how you get in the front of the book and you got the title, chapter titles, you know, in books, and it gives it a table of contents. Those 10 are like the table of contents of the other 600 that are given. So when you think about the Sabbath, that's the ceremonial. So all the ceremonial laws fall under that Sabbath category, if you think about that. Anyway. I thought that was an interesting way to do it. Go back to Exodus 31. So when he forms Israel, brings them out of Egypt, he gives them the sign of the Sabbath. So when you think about the Abrahamic covenant, the sign is circumcision. Mosaic covenant, the sign is the Sabbath. All right? Now, the ultimate sign for Israel, Israel's true sign is not the Star of David. It's the burning bush. That's the true symbol in the Scripture. All right, verse uh, 31, verse, well, we left off at verse 14, verse 15. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children, by the way, the Pharisees, we'll get over in the Lord back in Mark. Boy, they got that part of that down. He violated the Sabbath, time to kill him. You know, they didn't, they didn't miss, they missed the, all the other, but they got that part down. It is a sign, verse 17, between me and the children of Israel forever. Um, in the Exodus 31, 17. And the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So it's clearly given to Moses, given to Israel. He wrote it down. It's a sign. It's a sign between God and Israel concerning his plan and his purpose in creation using the nation of Israel to come and to dwell with them. And again, verse 13, there he gave them more than just one Sabbath. Leviticus 23. Go back to Leviticus 23. So, because Sabbaths is plural in 31.13, Leviticus 23, you have to remember that. And we're going to get back here to Mark here in just a second. Leviticus 23 if you look at verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel, saying unto them concerning the feast of the Lord's, which ye shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is your Sabbath. It is the Sabbath of the Lord and all your dwellings. It's to be a day of rest. It's a fe on a feast day. If you look there at verse 4, 
These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in the seasons, in the fourteenth day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover, and on the fifteenth day of the month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have a holy convocation, it shall be, uh, and ye shall do no servile work. So Passover is a work day because they've got to kill the lamb and get him ready and cook it. But the next day is a what? It's a holy convocation. It's a Sabbath day. And then in the Lord's case on, death, on the cross, the next day fell on Saturday. So you go Saturday, Friday, Thursday, boom, there it is. Not Wednesday or not Friday. Too much time and not enough time. And so you, they would know. Come back to Mark now. Whew. Confusing, isn't it? No, actually it's not. It's wonderful. It actually gets exciting studying it and then teaching it because it all demonstrates who Jehovah is for his people. Seven feast days match the seven Jehovah statements, match the seven I am's in John, match all that. And we looked at all of that as we came through this. They know that he was Jehovah, that he is going to redeem them, he's going to deliver them, he's going to avenge them, he's going to bless them, he's going to be their king. They got it. The problem in Mark is the Pharisees have no clue who they have rejected his testimony of who he is. So the Sabbath, the weekly one, all, 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 they're all, all, and all the other Sabbaths are ceremonial days, but it's all about who, it's all about he's the one who's going to make. He's going to make the nation of Israel that royal priesthood, that holy nation. And then he's going to come and dwell with man through them. So in Mark 2, verse 27, he says, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath day, a picture of, for what the purpose of creation was, God dwelling, a symbol, a sign of God's purpose in creation to dwell in his creation through the nation of Israel. Its design was to come along and to teach man, not man go serve it. And you got to remember the purpose here. It's a tool. And he's looking at them and he's saying, look guys, you've missed the whole purpose of what the Sabbath was. You got it as a law and as a regulation and something to grind. It's a tool to benefit you, to teach you, so you can appreciate his plan in creation involving you guys, Israel. That's why he says, verse 28, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He's He's the guy in Genesis 2 who established it. He's the one, and he's here, and he's ready to bring in his kingdom. It's at hand. He's ready to come in and do everything that he promised to do, what that Sabbath is all about. And you know what they did? They're gonna re they reject him. They're now going to try and kill him in the next chapter. That's what they've done. If you think about what he says there, that the Sabbath day is not for man, 
I'm sorry, the, uh, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the... Man was never made to serve the Sabbath issue. Rather, the Sabbath was made to serve the man, to remind, to teach, to educate. Now, the whole wonderful thing here at the end of Mark 2 is what he says in verse 25, just kind of quickly here in all this. And he said unto them, Have ye never read? He is using the scripture to identify the real problem of the Pharisees, which is ultimately their rejection of him and the truth of who he is. And their drift over to the traditions of the elders that made the word of God of none effect. Chapter 7, we're going to get there. And he says, listen, if you guys understood what the Sabbath was really all about, you would have never be saying it's unlawful. You, would be, you wouldn't be fasting. You would be rejoicing. But yet you don't know that. And now you've made the Sabbath something that it was never made, never designed to be. And that was a rule, a regulation, a grinding on it. It was never to be that way. And the crazy thing is, is the Pharisees understood that. He, again, we looked last time in John there and, and, in, and in Luke where he talks about, hey, if your ox is in the ditch, you're going to go get him. On the Sabbath, you, you take your animals out and feed them and drink them, give them water. Why? Because that's a morality thing. That's a moral thing. It isn't violating the ceremony. Okay? So don't miss what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath is a day where they were to stop and remember why the purpose and plan of God in creation and in creating them. And that was that ultimate issue of coming and dwelling with them on that second Sabbath after the first. And that's literally what they're after. Okay? Now, next time, hopefully, if I don't think of anything else in chapter 2, we'll get into chapter 3. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the study of it and for what we can glean from it and, and the awesomeness of your wisdom and what, how you had laid everything out to work, how you had the answer for man's fall. And yet, in the end, it still will work out how you planned ultimately. In your name we pray. Amen.